Don't you want? Don't you want to talk about evil? How <laughs> <laughs> about Glenn Danzig? Is he a fan? You ever get a email from that guy or something? Glenn Danzig. Something strikes me like he's be he'd be a big fan. He was a fan. I did some work for Verotic. But there was one funny story with this guy that I, I don't understand it. Since we began this YouTube channel like eight months ago, uh, there's been one name that came up that comes up in almost every episode. It's not Jack Kirby. It's not Will Eisner. It's Tim Motherfucking Vigil. We're sitting here at Heroes Con, and we have the hot lights on you, man. I want to thank you for coming by. Peace, love. And uh, let's get into it, Jim. We're gonna get all of the questions that we've always had answered answered tonight about Silver Wolf. It's eight inches. Hangs <laughs> <laughs> to the left. <laughs> It's going to be a fun night. Indeed. Let's start. Uh, what's the first comic you, you draw, Tim? Grips or Nightmasters, man? Oh, this is the big one. <laughs> now, some of you think there's a stealthness to this, but it was Grips. Okay. The Nightmaster came later. And Grips was a fun one. Came in, there's this guy, I'm bowling in my bowling league, and there was a guy new. That was also part of a, a group of younger artists that came from the same high school I came from. And his name was Stan. And he comes up to me and goes, Hey, have you heard about this Silver Wolf company that's starting some comics here in Sacramento? I said, No. And this other guy, Tim, uh, Tim Foster, he goes, I walked in as a writer and he hired me as an artist. And I said, shit. You know, I go, man, I can, I can get a job here, right? So I go show the guy, Chris Silver's my work, and he goes, I'm going to put you on my best book. Grips. I don't know, whatever, man. <laughs> How old were you? Uh, 26, 27. Was, was your plan to make comics? Did this just kind of come out of the blue? That came out of nowhere. I mean, I had ideas. I did a, uh, a fanzine with a friend of mine that uh, owned a comic store. But we were just doing, I was doing like little uh, Xerox, alone by 17 Xeroxes of three stories. It was me and my brother and this other guy, uh, John Palmer. And um, I was bringing those around to comic shops saying, hey, just, you know, sell them for a quarter. It would uh, be great to get the, the great Joe Vigil. Uh, in front of the hot lights someday, too, now that I think about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't, know, I don't know what Joe would have to say, really. We could elicit something, man. We could talk dog a little bit. And, you know, dog is a good one. That's my favorite. Yeah, mine too. So, Chris Silver and Silver Wolf is sort of a... The black and white comics of the 80s, you know, when I think of those, that's one of those interesting publishers. What can you tell us about Chris Silver? Douche. <laughs> no, yeah, was it capital D or small one? Big. <laughs> His problem was is that being that he got into that business where he could put. I mean, he was putting out some shit, and he was getting thirty thousand print runs at the time. Those post you know? uh, Teenage wow. Mutant Ninja Turtle days, man, were kind of. But crazy. he was putting out like the Eradicators and what was the other? Well, Port Dungeoneers. Uh, Dungeoneers. That was right. a visual book. Well, no, I just inked a little bit of it, a cover or something like that. But he was doing um, The Fat Ninja. That was, I thought, was the other good one by Gary Amaro. But he just got caught up in all the money, you know. And, and then, like, when Grips hit it, 
I mean, he's like, I was making like 20, 2,200 bucks an issue. And he was making, you know, 40,000 print run. You know, he was making like $15,000 for himself after everything. And I'm getting two. And I'm going, okay, fine. And you figured he would have sat there and go, hey, we got a hit. Let's share some of this. But he didn't. He started buying houses and everything. And and then he wasn't giving anything over to me. And it's like, you know, I wouldn't sit there and tell him, like, you know, this isn't you, you know. But everybody's telling me it's me. You know, it's the art that everybody's liking and the, how it's presented. But, you know, I just went along with it, and we started doing portfolios. And this is where it really got nasty because it, it, it just we, – we, we printed 100 portfolios of the grips, and we and he charged 3 bucks for it. And he did 100 of them. And so he comes up to me and goes, you get a dollar, the company gets a dollar, and I get a dollar. And I go, well, the, you are the company. And he started getting a little huffy about it. I said, whatever. Okay, fine. So the first one goes out and it does real well. He gives me a hundred bucks. Or wait, he gives me, yeah, he gives me a hundred bucks. Because it made three hundred bucks. Well, he kicks up, once it gets going, he kicks up, it kicks up to like a thousand he prints. He hands me a hundred bucks. <laughs> and I'm like, what the fuck, dude? I go, I just go, what happened to you get a dollar, the company gets a dollar, and I get a dollar? And he just exploded on me. And it was like, all right, you know, that's it. You know, I, I was happy. I was working and I was doing some stuff. But after that, I just started drawing shit. I didn't care. And then it just came down to like, a, there was this other guy um, that did uh, Comics Express. I don't know if you remember Omega came out to that in the first first time. Well, he was coming to visit because he, he saw the... He was selling like 150 grips through his store. And he saw like, wow, this is really cool. So he flew out from New York to Sacramento to talk to Silvers about just seeing what could happen. But Silvers got really tight and uh, just didn't even want to see him. I go, this guy just flew from New York just to have, you know, talk with you. And he didn't want to talk to him. So I come in and he wanted to meet me. So I come in and I say, hey, and I, you know, we hung out. And then he brought me out to New York. And then I jumped ship over to him. And we did that. Uh, we did um, uh, Omega. And uh, he was the one that told me I should do something like Grips. Because the Omega didn't really go over real big, you know, like he was hoping. So he said, you, should, you know, you, your bread and butter is the, um, the violence and stuff. So I, I, we came up with Faust. Once you go from one claw to two, man, everything changes. <laughs> <laughs> well, one claw to two and threw a little bit of Satan in there and uh, some hot chicks and gave him, you know, made the artist not a comic artist, but a fine artist, you know. But once, we got, once it got personal and I was able to do it with David Quinn and we were able to develop it ourselves, I could make it as hardcore as I wanted. I didn't have to listen to Silvers or anybody. That's one thing. Uh, I was surprised to learn that Grips was your first comic because, you know, I come to you through Faust. Like, I right. found Faust, and whenever I get back to Grips, it's like, you're pretty formed. 
stylistically you're there the violence that you know was one of the major characteristics of Faust is on display from the get-go and grips right you know all the pieces feel like they're there whenever you kind of hit the hit the ground running so to speak there was there was it was in the portfolios that I really um, started really pushing my style because I was just doing these one pieces and I was really going man I made it in the comics people are loving this shit I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best work here and I started just doing all sorts of stuff and the violence was there um, I was really into just like splatter gore and um, and I was just putting detail into these pieces and and people were liking him. But the comic, I wasn't doing that because he wanted that stuff cranked out. Right. I'd be sitting there drawing a page, and the guy next to me, I'd hand it to him, and he'd start inking it. And they weren't great inkers either. And the only, the only issue that I inked myself, well, I inked part of, I inked the first one, I think I inked the second one. Are you, are you saying that you guys worked in like a studio environment? Or metaphorically speaking? Well, sort of. The, the inker had a large art table. And... Um, I knew him. He was John Palmer that I was work did work with with on the, the Xerox stuff, and I got him to do some inking and you know made him some money, but we were just passing it over. And he wasn't a great inker. This guy was a, was heavy, and was like whatever, who cares? Right. And Silver Wolf didn't care. He didn't care how it looked. People were buying it, and uh, I didn't. I didn't care for that too much because I I had an idea of well, well the quality's not good, you know, and what can you do? I wasn't calling the shots. Yeah. I wonder what your influences are because I don't see comics quite like your comics before that. So, you know, are there guys you're looking at or comics or other media? Like, where are you getting this inspiration to basically make comics that, that don't look like anything else? Well, I, I was always a big um, Marvel fan. I was a comic collector, you know, and I... I collected artists that I liked, and I didn't see anything. Uh, I didn't ever have it, like establish in my mind that I wanted to do something different. It was just that I like these artists. I like comics. I got a chance to do it, but being exposed artistically before I started comics, um, one at an early age, I, I was influenced by pornography, you know, finding porn magazines and shit. So I had an interest in the erotica. Um, I loved violence. I've always loved violence in movies and stuff like that. So uh, The Wild Bunch, at the end of The Wild Bunch, if you've, if you've ever seen it, stunned me and my, and my brother. We saw that and we were like, oh my God. It was like, you know, the, the, the heavens clouds opened up and the angels were singing to us and that's where all the splatter came from uh, later a little bit of the Asian cinema but not a heavy influence but a little bit um, but that's of and then seeing Richard Corbin at a young age I could I was like, wow, you know, you're looking at Marvel, you're looking at DC, and then all of a sudden you get these undergrounds coming in, and all of a sudden they're doing just, some of these artists were putrid. And it was like, oh, my God, you know, it's the effect that these things had on me. And 
it was the first time that, you know, as a young man, you're starting to get a boner over looking at drawings. <laughs> you know? and, and you're like, fuck, look at this. Um, I, I forget who it was. I think it was the artist's name was Irons. Greg Irons. Um, he did a story that was about this um, street cleaner at car accidents. And he goes in there, and he's, like, sweeping up. And he always had these distorted, ugly faces on people, and he was making this guy all gross and pussy-looking. But he was scooping up parts of the body stuff and sticking in his pockets. He would go home and put them in jars and stuff. And then one night he brings his wife down, and they pour all the parts and gore on the ground, and they start fucking. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, my God. And I couldn't believe it, but it was great. <laughs> you know, and I was just like, this is horrifying. And so, you know, Marvel Comics never had that impact on me. <laughs> it's not. You know, even when they did like a horror line and something like that, you just went, oh, that's that's fun, that's nice. But the, 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 the like, oh, God, you know, and that, that was, that was a big, big influence on me, that story. How old about were you whenever you encountered Probably about 13. Yeah, that's, that's an yeah. impact time. Yeah, very much so. And um, there was a couple other... The thing about the undergrounds is that they had artists that... I mean, they just drew ugly people in stories and just, like... It, it, it was just like, my God. And yet, like this one guy, there's a story, I forget who the artist was, but he goes to this planet that's just... The people are just all screwed up and mutated and everything. And he's an astronaut that's caught there, and he, he starts... Picks one girl to screw... But he puts a mask over her face, and he's screwing her, and then all of a sudden a ship comes down. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm leaving. And the girl's like, oh, you're leaving me, you know? And she has her mask on still. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is so sad. <laughs> but then the, the astronauts come out, and this mutation has reached Earth, and so they're all fucked up, the people, and he's the only normal one, sort of. The way the guy drew him, you know, was still bad. But he's like, and they're like, wow, look at chicks. And, and it's, it was ugly. It was just, but it was, you could tell that the stories were just, this idea of dementedness could really go somewhere. And it hooked with me. Where were know. you finding these kind of underground comics? Were there head shops or comic shops? Yeah, because, oh, yeah. Um, I was growing up when the first, like, comic shop comic shops were coming around the head shops were there and they were carrying the underground because san francisco was pumping them out from ripoff so they were right there and we'd go over there and we were able to i don't i would i didn't buy them directly i got them through uh guys that were older than me but were you a kid you know that drew your whole life yeah would you say you're self-taught as an artist yeah pretty much uh Self-taught myself by looking at, you know, of course, mm -hmm. comics and stuff like that. But I have a memory all the way back to kindergarten where people thought, hey, you know, that's pretty good. And then as I grew up, uh, people kept saying, oh, you're good, you're good. But I, I, could, I couldn't draw it in my head. I always had to copy stuff. But they're going, oh, you're good. I'm like, well, am I? Because I can't draw a picture, yeah. you know, that looks good. But I could copy one, and it would turn out pretty good. That's the starting ground. Yeah, and like um, when my brother and I we used to draw comics, he was very very intuitive out of his head from the get go, and we and he would sit down and draw a page and just 
and they'd be like, oh, that's fucking awesome. And then I would draw the next page. I'd go, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'd go get a stack of comics, every artist I liked, and it'd be right next to me, and I'd spend like about three hours doing my page because I'd go through a comic and go, okay, I like that. And then, you know, I'm looking at Neil Adams. I'm looking at uh, Bernie Wrightson. I'm looking at Barry Smith. I'm just looking at all my favorites right there, you know, and I'm copying these guys. So I'm, my style is developing through uh, like a stew, you know. Everything's being thrown into it. And I don't consider myself really original, but I've been able to do a nice, you know, cooking of a package. Um, and then when it came to, like, high school, it finally hit me that they kept saying I'm an artist. And I go, well, you know, I'm going to have to draw out of my head. And I stopped copying things from that point. By the time I became a senior, I was doing some pretty neat stuff. And I was going, well, that's not bad. And I was developing inking at the time with a brush and stuff. How did you figure out that part? Had you read, like, this is the tool to use for comics? or? Yeah, yeah. Um, my brush style, though, was very, real fine. It wasn't like, you know, the, uh, the thick uh, strokes that a comic would have. I mean, I did, like, real fine feathering. There was almost a grayscale. And, uh, and maybe that's where my meticulousness comes in, because I would just sit there and feather this sucker, you know. And uh, I was using small brushes and everything. I didn't, I didn't know any real craft besides a pencil. You know, that was into comics. Mm -hmm. But you you had the ink. I didn't know about crow quills or anything like that. I used a little bit in school, but I hated them. Um, but that's where some of the ideas came from of other artists and all. Was your brother older or younger than he's you? Young, he's older. Older, okay. We should say Joe Vigil, who's Joe also Vigil, yeah. done several comics and yeah. done some comics. Um, so, after high school, uh, do you think about art school? Do you go to art school? I went to college. Um, I took art classes, but I always looked at it as, um, you know, I'll just take art classes because I'm good at it, and I'll just develop. But I didn't look at it as, you know, going into art history, or but I took it. Uh, but I didn't look at it as a major. Mm -hmm. um, I was into filmmaking, um, and I just took art for a class just to keep in practice. And, and still keeping your eye on comics at that time? I, I was just drawing. I didn't really, I didn't look at it as I'm going to do comics. I was just drawing. Um, and my style just happened to be, you know, comic book. Because I was looking at comics still. I was looking at Wrights and I was looking at Barry Smith, Mike Kaluta, and these guys. They're, they, they were always like the, um, the class ahead of me because they were like 10 years older than me. And when they came out with, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, The Studio. Yes. Oh, yeah. That to me was like, oh, right on. The comic people are, f this guy, these guys are going to really try to push it to an art level. And as much as they did, it failed. And, but I went, that's where I'm going. I'm going to pursue that, uh, that romantic style, that surrealistic style, and uh, try to show that this, this art form can be um, something valuable. And keep comic book. You know, I didn't want to go into, like, say, Salvador Dali or Escher or something like this. I wanted comic book to be what I was doing and always have that influence. It's, it's 
That's pretty interesting to hear because I try to think of like what would have been contemporaries. You know, so many like the studio, it's guys that are kind of stepping out of comics or possibly Will Eisner thinking like graphic novel, again, kind of stepping out of comics. I didn't get into Eisner for a long time. Getting into the business, I think uh, until I met David and that was like, I was like about two years into it, three years into it. I didn't even know who Eisner was. How'd you meet David? Uh, when I went to New York, that guy that came across, uh, this guy was named Uk Baez, and uh, he knew David because David went to his shop, and David was teaching in Brooklyn. And so David came and um, we met, and the stuff that I was doing with Omega, uh, I had started some pages, and they thought, the, and I was having my friend John that I've talked about, he was writing it, but they didn't like it. So they said, why don't you bring David on? And I said, okay. Can't hurt. <laughs> we should say it's David Quinn, the, yeah. the writer of Faust. Yeah. Do you guys kind of hit it off right away? Do you have to size him up? David's kind of the person that pretty much gets along with everybody. I'm the hard person. I'm the person that's <laughs> kind of like, you know, uh, I'm kind of standoffish. I, I'm uh, I keep to myself. But David was really easy to get along with, and he listened and he and he took the position of basically listening to what my ideas were and working with me. So uh, he made it real easy. Who publishes? You know, in the beginning, so you guys kind of gel and you start working on Faust. Yeah. And eventually, you're going to self-publish Faust. Yes. What's the step to getting there? Well, the Comics Express people, Uke Baez, we got into conflict. And um, Tim Tyler was working with North Star at the time. And he had asked me to do a, a story for their North Star Presents of Tim Tyler's character, what was the guy, Ravage, I think his name was. He had like a saw in his hand. Oh, yes, 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 <laughs> of course. And so I did that, and they loved it. And Tim loved my work. Um, but when, once the Comic Express people started going off, I went to these guys and said, hey, we have this story, Omega, and we have this other one, Faust. Do you want them? And Northstar said, yeah. So we jumped ship right there. And then we're sitting there with these guys, and we're doing pretty good, and, and Faust is now kicking in, right? People are loving it. Motherfucker starts spending money, not paying us, you know. It's like, what's going on here? They started a project with, uh, to do the She-Faust uh, that Mark Beecham was going to do. Mm. Now, Mark is, was much more of a known talent than me and, and David, so... The North Star people started paying him in advance. And Beecham has a little bit of a reputation of not finishing stuff. So they're taking my money, giving it to him, and he doesn't finish. And so they're not going to make the money off of his book, which was when I heard the numbers was like it was going to be like a 40, 45,000 print run. You know, and they, they would have been great. But he dicked around and and we finally said why are we listening you know why are, Dave and I go why, why don't we just do it ourselves you know what's the big deal 
and so we finally just started doing it ourselves and we some guy helped us um, put it put it together and get it printed and stuff like that but number seven we finally just did it ourselves and said fuck these guys I had to walk away from 30 grand but it was like price of freedom man yeah and control you know we got to, I got to see where the money went and I paid you know I was the one that was putting out the checks and that's Rebel Studios Rebel Studios yeah do you feel like we're skipping many, many steps in a way? Because we have Caliber Presents number one, Kuda, you and Tim Tyler. Like, there's a lot of stuff that, a lot of ground to cover here today. Yeah. So you want to talk about Caliber? Let's talk about Caliber. At issue one, man, not only is it the first appearance of Crow, it's the first appearance of Kuda. How did, I, I'm trying to remember, because Gary Reed was doing that, and um, I had done... The first CUDA chapter in my early um, fanzine magazine called Access in Sacramento. And I had that, and Silvers actually did a printing of it called Heart of Darkness that I never saw any money from or anything. I didn't see any books. But that's when everything was falling apart. So he just, he did it. And I don't think it ever got distributed for a long time I don't know I, I stopped paying attention to him but I had that and I guess I somehow Gary must have got in contact with me and I expanded that story and I finished it from what it was I expanded it out and, and did it through Caliber over how many issues of Caliber presents was it the fir first six baby I think it was the first six yeah, yeah. Was that a positive experience working with Caliber? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had no problem with them. They they printed the story. They paid me. It wasn't a lot, but... Probably the biggest publisher, you know, thinking of Silverwolf, thinking of North Star, I feel like Caliber's probably a little bit of a bigger publisher than those guys. Possibly more organized. I don't know that for sure, but... Um, maybe a more professional... So, he was he was doing a couple things. Well, Gary Reed was a real nice guy. Um, I had no problem with him. But after we did it, you know, I'm doing I'm doing Rebel and just do my own thing then. So that's where I focused because I was making decent money at the time. What year does Rebel start? I want to say ninety. I think that's when the first issue seven came out. Okay, so I wonder what, you know, what you remember of sort of the comics landscape at that time. You know, lots of distributors were around then. Yeah. You know, as an independent guy, you're able to make a good living. Yeah. Um, I, throughout my career, I haven't really looked at the landscape as really checking it out and going, how do you work it? It was there. I used it. And then it just kind of fell apart, you know. And then I learned basically what people in the industry thought, why it fell apart later. I just saw it fell apart, and I said, fuck, I'm losing money. Yeah. And that was it. A, a big focus uh, of the channel whenever we started this YouTube thing uh, was early Wizard magazines, uh, and we used that as the backbone to just talk about the speculator market and how like there were yeah. these crazy inflated numbers. If you guys started in about 1990, self-publishing with Rebel Studios, 
uh, you must have benefited a little bit from from that scene, I would imagine. With well, I never did any, like, chromium covers. No, I, no, no. I, yeah. I mean, but there was that going around and stuff like that. And that's you saw the gimmicks come into play, hologram covers and shit like that. And I was always like, you know, if the comic's not good inside, I never thought that you should do that. Sure. You know, because a lot of it was, like, even that Spider-Man. Uh, McFarlane. I don't know if it was McFarlane. No, it was a Spider-Man that had a hologram cover. I don't know if it was a McFarlane issue, but the inside was total shit. Oh, yeah. You know, and you're like, all right, you got a hologram cover. Big deal. You know, I was always just interested in just putting out a solid book and, you know, and putting it out there and not having to go, well, you got to buy seven different covers. Yeah. You know, I, I never found what the big deal was about that. Well, and, let, me, let me ask you this. Um with the speculation market kind of like on the rise, when you put out like the Rebel Edition, Faust Number One, mm -hmm. is that maybe the biggest selling comic that that you've made through Rebel? Uh, I guess. I Our, guess period. Number one of Faust would have been probably the biggest, just the fact that it, the it North was, Star one or, or Rebel. Uh, well, the North Star one went through like I think four to five reprints. Wow. Um, I think, that, as I understood it, it hit about a, a hundred thousand print or copies made throughout its, you know, right, time. Um, the Rebel One, no. There's been there was a, there was a reprint of it, but um, when we were doing it, we'd get because distributors had uh, reorders, and um, so we'd get initial order of say twenty five thousand. I could go, well, let's print 50 because we know we're going to get a reorder. And usually that would come up within like two months, three months, and you get a reorder, and so you're making, you know, some good money. And then they stopped doing the reordering. I was like, what's, you know, what's going on? Why would you stop when you're making money at this stuff? I never understood it. But it was just they were cutting back on labor, I guess, and they didn't want to handle it. But it killed a lot of, you know, like the independent guys – I relied on it, you know, and all I could just say is "fuck them." <laughs> That's it. Like I said, I don't I don't pay much attention to it. So, but when it happens, you're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah. One thing, whenever I was a kid, like uh, Dark Knight and Watchmen, and these comics would come out, and it started to be this conversation of like, "Hey, Biff Bam Pow comics aren't just for kids anymore." Right. All of your comics are, you know, aimed at older readers. Was that something, was that around? Like, were you seeing other creators that were working that way? Like, that seems like this huge leap, but it's, it's one that you were just always at that state and seemed to flourish in that state. Well, the independent market gave, it, uh, gave room for um, more, like, The Crow, you know, it was, it was drama, more adult in a way. Um, you know, Cry for Dawn was right up there. When we were doing it, uh, and that was some extreme—not extreme, extreme—but there was some extreme horror in it. But it was adult. But I always looked at it saying, "I'm going to make a comic for my age. I, I don't give a shit about the kids. The kids are going to like it. They're going to find if they hear about it, they're going to get it." Which we did. Right. Thank, thank you very much. <laughs> right. But I'm going. I'm, I'm doing it for my age, and even as I've gotten older, I'm going. This is still for my age. I'm not doing it for kids. And I'll even put it on there, even though you put adults only on a comic, it kills it. But I'm going to go, this is for adults, man. 
and when I and it pisses me off when I see these companies like Marvel, and they do extreme dirty shit in their stuff, kind of underneath it all, in the characters and stuff like this, and they just say, oh, it's mature. Yeah. You know, that's that's there's some hardcore stuff, you know, Wanda and Pedro Quicksilver having an affair as brother and sister. You know, you're like, what the fuck are you guys pushing? And anybody can pick it up. And there'd be comic stores around my area where they would go, oh, we're not going to carry Faust. I go, but you're going to carry this shit. You know, that's, at least I tell you who can do this, you know. And you're letting any kid read this, oh, having sex with my sister, you know. Terrible. Besides retail, you know, some retailers may be choosing not to carry it. Was there ever any situations, any like CBLDF, obscenity, anything like that ever come out of Faust or? What do you mean? What? Have you heard of any stores that got pinched oh, yeah. or something from? Well, yeah, someone to me or anything. I never know jail. Don't worry about that. No, but there was there was a there was at the time there was a big uproar that the comics it, was, it got to be like the comics code bit. It was like the oh these comics because everything's supposed to be for kids. And it's like, no, it's not. And so there's plenty of stores that were being raided. And, uh, well, I wouldn't say plenty, but there was a, there was a handful that just to get people to be scared about stuff. And uh, they were going, oh, look at you got this, especially in the Bible Belt, you know. They'd come pick out the comics and Faust would be one of them. And they'd shut down stores or find these store owners. It's like, fuck, he's stupid. What the fuck? It's a comic book. In, in the modern day, uh, there's a guy, uh, uh, Jason Carnes, fuck a tour is the comic. And, oh, yeah, I like and, his work. Yeah, and every now and then there'll be a little controversy or something uh, online surrounding his work. And then, you know, in the background, he would let us know, like, man, I just sold even more comics than I have in the past, like, two <laughs> years. Uh, when there would be some sort of controversy, people holding up foul saying, like, look, what's in these stores? Would that be, would there be an uptake in sales? Anything that you no, would notice? No, because it, it became people became scared it was, it was more of a, a, a fear of it so you know stores stopped carrying it and um, it was like what again it was like why why are you even listening to this community of, of fear you know when you can go into a bookstore and they have being that okay it's written only but you can have all sorts of obscenities in this bookstore but you're not going to go close down the bookstore. But but the fact that you go into a comic store that they say is for kids, it's like you, you can't push it. Even though you get an adult section, you know, I mean, you're supposed to be. I can't sell this to anybody over eighteen, except at over eighteen, and they would still frick around it. So I didn't like it. I didn't have a lot of control over it, though. Yeah, of course not. Is the '90s progress? You know, we we go from that bubble expanding to the speculator bust, you know, and distributors folding and really bad time for, for comics in the mid to late 90s. What's your experience like as a small publisher? He got fucked. You know, it's, when the big crash happened, when Mar as I this is how I understand why it happened, because Marvel went off to distribute themselves and then they found out that, ah, oh, this is a big fucking headache. And then they had to go back to Diamond. But by the time they went back, all these other distributors had gone. Well, 
I think I was on issue 10 of Faust. And I was doing it the way that I was doing it always. Uh, you figured we were going to get about 25000 let's print 50000 Well, the crash comes, we don't have reorders. So I got shitloads of boxes of Faust 10, EO2. I'm sleeping on these boxes, you know, my mattress is on it. <laughs> For years, I just couldn't get rid of them. But yeah, I got screwed. As lost those, money. Yeah, as those distributors go away, they're not paying you for, right. for comics that right. they sold and whatnot. But they're not, you know, when it happened, everybody just, the stores sucked in their idea of what their money was. As much as I was selling, at the least, like 30 copies of Faust, they weren't putting the money there. They were putting the money into, like, say, Batman and every title of Batman, even though Faust could have been selling more than what, some of these titles were selling. But they just went right to the majors, and, and then they would spend, uh, I think it was like 75% of their money on this, and then they would just trickle it down. But again, I wasn't like riding a wave of Faust, though. Right. That, that was part of my problem. And again, I didn't really care, but because um, I was just exploring my ideas and everything. But uh, you know, I didn't look at it as go, I got a hot book, I need to put this out faster. I need to be making this money every two months instead of every once a year, or maybe twice a year. Yeah, I, I didn't care. I was going, oh, I did this. Does I got another idea? Let's do this issue. Then I'd go back. To, I would do like Faust, EO, Faust, Gothic Knights, Faust, EO, Faust, Gothic Knights. That's I would just Faust was always in there, but I was jumping in between other stuff too. And I didn't, you know, I, was going, I just figured everything would sell well. The, a, a big attraction of Faust really was that meticulous artwork uh, that you had on display there. Yeah. And all sorts of methods and materials being used on, on that series from, from Zipatone to, to a Duotone board. Uh -huh. And almost uh, mirroring the, the, the death of the distributors... Um, Slowly but surely, there was the death of those methods and materials. Well, yeah, computers brought a part, part of that in. But uh, they stopped making Dua Shade paper. I had some to, all the way to the end. Yeah. I had a good stock of it. I was going to ask if you, if you uh, but, when it started to go away, if you started buying it. But the chemical, I didn't have the chemical, so. I ran out of chemicals, so it was like I had to use real sparse areas and just maybe a highlight here, and then it was like, Especially the last two issues, I said, well, I'll go to the computer and gray tone them. But then I got into this whole, I'll gray tone it all. You know, I wasn't just put a gray here like zip a tone. Yeah. I said, I'll do the whole thing. And so there's a big change of how the last two issues look. Those are the avatar issues? No, they're the, old the series. Oh. Did you do that grayscaling yourself? Yeah. So more work for me. <laughs> well... My reason for asking that is it feels like, you know, self-taught as an artist, you're just picking up whatever tools, including digital, yeah. along the way. Uh, I find that commendable because a lot of people do tend to get into, like, one track, you know, one style, one method. And yeah. digital is often a... Well, this a wasn't... Hurdle. Yeah, but this is just working with gray tone and uh, working with um, the uh, eraser at a certain opacity or... The Dodge and um, what's the other one? Dodge and Burn tools. I wasn't using a lot of tools. I was just using about maybe four tools just to 
like I would do a sheet of gray and then I would add darker grays and then I would just go in and cut in highlights and, and mold it. But it, was, it wasn't a lot, but it was just a lot of work. Were there artists along the way that, that you would kind of go to and pick their brains on some of this methodology? No. No, you know, you just knew computers are out there and um, you go, ah, I got to, all right, I'll buy one. <laughs> Check it out. Get Photoshop. See what it can do. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't associate with a lot of artists. I don't, um, I don't pick their brains if I meet them. It's, it's pretty just, hello, how are you? You know, or maybe, you know, if I can, if they're doing something, I'll go, oh, that's pretty cool. What are you doing? You know, but I'm never around somebody. I think I've done it once when the uh, guy out of Arizona, I got to go to his um, studio and he was doing, he was, he was real great at Photoshop and I was able to sit there and watch him for a half hour or so and try to pick up as much as I could. But, what about, um, so you come out of the Sacramento area. Sam Keith, another cartoonist yeah. that comes out of there. We've seen your names in credits on a, at least a couple of books. Yeah. Um, First one comes to mind, Marvel Comics Presents 100. Oh, yeah. I said, I, I wasn't supposed, I didn't think I was going to get credited for that. Sam calls me up. Hey, can you help me with some layouts because I'm late? You know, I got to get this done. I go, okay. And I just chunk out these pages, like seven pages, chunk them out. I go, you're going to fix these up, right? <laughs> I'm just doing layout. He goes, yeah, yeah. I think he might have done maybe two pages. And then he just slopped the rest out. And I was like, uh. Then I saw my name was on. I'm like, oh, no. And I looked at it. I was like, oh, no. <laughs> it was horrible. Can you walk us through your kind of a process? Like like a page of Faust. How, how does that develop? How do you do the writing? Are you working from a script? Yeah, do you um, work Marvel method? Well, the early days um, of Faust, David and I, we, we, we developed the story pretty much one summer, uh, pretty much from beginning to end, if I remember, of a basic of how it was going to go. And David would start on the script, and he'd be writing it, he'd be giving me it, but I'm like, knowing what's going to go on, I I'd be, I'd be, might be working on a cover or something like this. And then I would go over and go, what about this? What about this? Oh, no, you know, what about this? And then he'd rewrite it, and then I'd look at it again, and then he'd rewrite it if I wanted it. We'd fine-tune it, and then when I finally read it, and I went, I can draw this, um, I would start on it. And he didn't have any page breakdowns or anything. He, we just had it like a script, just a story. And I would go in and go, well, I want this part here to be, you know, I want this to be two pages. I want this to be bigger. Or this one could only be here. And I would break it down, the whole book. And then near the end, though, um, near the end it came down to where I was basically drawing it and he was writing to it just to get it done. When you say you're breaking stuff down, are you actually drawing like, you know, like a page breakdown? or are you? Yeah, I would slice up. I would slice up the, uh, like say there's a paragraph, I would slice it up where I want dialogue to slice up and then I would do little thumbnails on the side and then uh, I would do larger thumbnails of the, all the pages and then draw them from there How long and they would change 
how long did it take uh, the first uh, Faust run to, to uh, complete? Like 13 years? No, it took 25. Yeah. We, just, we just finished it back in, um, I think, 14. You did. You know what? In my mind, I was thinking 2004, but it was 2014. Yeah, it, it went along. It took a long time. Yeah. And there were times when there was like seven years in between that a book wouldn't come out. What was happening in, in those years? Trying to make money. You know, and... Going to shows, commissions, or... Yeah, I'm working with... Um, other things and just doing things but I would just sit there and go okay you know David was doing stuff and but then it came down like when it when it, when it finally finally finished it said I just got to finish this fucker you know taking seven years between a book was ridiculous and a lot you know a lot of that's my fault um, but I didn't want the quality to be hindered so when I when I sat down with it, I go, you know, you can't. I didn't want when you looked at those last two issues. I didn't want people to go, well, they're out, and oh well, you know, you kind of just got it out there. I think it ended out well. There's some really good stuff in that's those last two issues. What's the print run like on those last couple? Because those are expensive books to track down. Three thousand, five thousand, maybe. They were low, and people go, oh, you're lucky to get that. That's a good print run for an independent. I go, fuck. <laughs> you're, you're covering your printing costs, and that's it. You know, you know, I didn't make any money off that stuff. And that was the Avatar stuff, right? No, it was the end of Faust, the last two issues. I didn't really make any money off of that. Mm. For all the work I put into it, it was like, I'm done. That was The neat thing was, is like the last line that I drew on it was, I, I got to admit, was uh, a thrill. You know, and I went... This fucker's done. I was pretty happy with myself, and it was it was a very quiet moment. You know, you're you're by yourself, and and you've for 25 years you've been going, you've been hearing how this thing is a certain um, uh, liked in a lot of ways, you know, and yet it's not it's not selling, and people are forgetting about it within that 25 years. But there's still like a cult out there, and it's like, but well, when you finished it, you went, there you go. And now let it sit out in the world and see what it can do, and if that even means anything, you know. I was just happy to get it done. Do you have plans for it at this point? You know, collected edition? Sure, uh, sure. But it's, it's a matter of, uh, I'm, I don't have the money to sit there and go, uh, put it together. I have to put it together. I've tried to have other people put it together, and and there's been always something coming up that causes a conflict or or even disaster to these people. It's weird, but I have to do it all if it's going to get done, and I don't have time for it. We've, um, like I said before, we've been covering Wizard Magazine uh, on the channel a lot, and David Quinn started writing articles somewhere in the teens, probably, uh, of, of these issues. Somewhere in 1992, he's talking about the impending uh, Faust movie and how he has to turn in a screenplay. Mm -hmm. Flick comes around uh, around 2000. 2000, 2000 yeah. Yeah. Um, was the property constantly being optioned? Oh, no. No? No. 
it took it took about ten years to get that thing going. I met this uh, this guy, Ted Chalmers, through he hired me to do for an independent uh, creature design. And while I was doing that, he goes, "Hey, did you ever think about doing Faust as a movie?" And I said, "Well, yeah, sure." And we let him. Yeah, we we just, Dave and I said, "Well, anytime you." You know, want to present it to somebody? Go ahead. And it took about ten years, and he, you know, he he finally got it. Someone interested and got it made, and you know, I got to give him kudos to that. But we didn't really benefit from it. And when the movie came out, the book didn't do any better. Uh, the movie went direct to DVD, so it was like not you know people had to hear about it here and there, and then when it got to Sci-Fi Channel. I don't know if they made the association between this is a comic book or whatever, but and then the movie wasn't the comic, mm -hmm. so it, it, you know, there was criticism against it and everything like that. And I didn't have much to do with it once the movie rights were sold, because I would have sat there and said, ah, there needs to be more blood, more blood. That's what I've been just saying, <laughs> more blood, more death. Yeah, I actually watched the movie not too long ago, and there's a part where the one lady seduces the guy in a shower, and she keeps her clothes on, and I was like, man, Vigil would have none of that. <laughs> I well, even the even the scene where she screws the guy on the table. Yeah, well, the other guy's watching through the mirror. Right, which was the scene in number two where she pokes the dude's eyes out. Yeah. I'm like, why didn't you poke his eyes out? People love that in the book. It was like, come on. And she does it on this dining table or something. It was like... No. So they they just kind of mess with it. They were doing all sorts of uh, character redesigns and everything, and there was a um, article that came out in Fangoria about it. While it was being shot, but they did a little article, and I see these pictures of Claire, and she has red and black hair. And I'm like, what the fuck is this, you know? I... I start emailing the director I'm going okay I understand you guys like to change everything you change the M's hair to white I'll live with it you know you change the costume to be morphing off of them good I'll live with that but I go what are you doing with Claire you know she's an icon of this story and uh, I guess he realized it her hair is black and blonde but there's two scenes where they have the other hair which is good. He finally, you know, Claire's in it. Yeah. You know, it isn't like, oh, who's it? oh, that's Claire. No, it's not. You know, so he did listen. But I can't even believe they did that. Uh, I'm sitting here thinking about the the elaborate, like airbrushed color covers uh, of Faust. Yeah. Uh, can we talk about some process stuff with those, man? How big were they? Are are those photographs? Like, what was the process to get those things printed? Well, to do them, uh, when I did like the Faust number one cover and I painted it, I realized that I didn't know how to paint, even though I had gone to you know painting classes and uh, oil painting. But when I was doing these, because they're eleven by seventeen uh, covers, and I was painting like I was inking, so you see these ink lines feathering with paint. And I'm going, oh, my God, you know. And I had, uh, you know, we had an airbrush, and so I was doing airbrush backgrounds at the time. 
Um, but it's the, the the first cover is really, really just shows that I don't know what the fuck I'm doing, you know. And the second one was funny because we have um, for the first premiere came out in a special premiere. I had done just the word dripping an airbrush but they didn't print it with the airbrush they just printed it in a solid red so i go oh shit i need a i need a cover for number two so i go okay when i see this playboy cover i I can use that girl and just flip it you know and put a razor in her hand but i had to airbrush it over uh the lettering because i did on the same thing and um so if you look at number two you'll see when I lifted up the frisket that it pulled some of the paint off of the lettering. And uh, so I had to airbrush her, and it, it came out nice. But the thing that was really nice about that is that North Star did that little flap right. over it. And that marketing device fucking sold that book. I believe it. Yeah, they were, they were genius Gotta at that point. Gotta see what's under that flap, man. <laughs> right. They're, 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 their marketing man did a great job on that. And... Uh, When you, when you say marketing men, it makes it sound like uh, North Star is a big operation. Well, he had, he had he, he, there's the main guy, Dan Matson. I'm trying to remember who his partner was that was doing the, the setup and all the art direction. I forget his name. He's a real nice guy, too, but I forget his name. And he's the one that came up with it. Um, but that sold it. People just, people just died over that. Oh, fuck, look at that. <laughs> and you just open it up, and there's this woman all bloody and everything, and it, it tripped them out. And there's some good stuff in that issue, too. But I didn't really get into groove of painting the covers. I think until... I did some okay ones. But uh, until number 10, I finally went, oh, that's not bad. No, I had to study a lot of... I was studying Glenn Fabre paintings and uh, uh, Simon Bisley, his paintings. Would you would you would have uh, seen their work from 2000 AD, or were they doing stuff here in America at that point? Um, Bisley was getting into uh, the Americans. You know, the, um, he was doing Terminator stuff. He was doing Doom Patrol and... Uh, so I was, they were really, both of them were coming in. I, uh, Fabre was doing uh, preacher covers. Gorgeous stuff. And so I was like, wow, look at this guy. And I, I, I studied him quite a bit. But I, was, I, I don't really consider myself a painter. But I can, you know, I can fake it okay. So. So you've, you've named a few of these comics, uh, you know, Doom Patrol, Preacher, things like this. You keep up with with any comics? Are you still reading any contemporary comics? No. I don't. I don't read a lot of comics. I um, and when I did collect comics, I I basically didn't read them. I just looked at them for the art. I only collect if if the artist I like left the book, I left the book. I followed that artist around wherever Neil Adams went. I was going where he was going. You know, wherever writes in was doing it, I was following rights and, and these guys. I didn't give a shit about the stories. <laughs> it's my that's why I gotta I have a hard time creating stuff. I come up with these plots, I'm going, wait, what? But I don't read enough books and stuff to 
really figure out the deepness of it. That's why I was going to do with uh, I need a writer. Well, we talked to Quinn for a little bit, um, but another name that I often associate with you is Tim Tyler. We talked about him a little bit, but yeah. maybe we could get into him a little bit more. Uh, is was it like a senpai kohai, like you you were the big brother from another mother? Or what was the association there? What was the dynamic between the two of you? Well, he he brought me over to North Star liking my work. Mm -hmm. So he had an admiration for grips and everything. And he liked what I was doing with his character. So I, 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 I he looked up to me for a little bit, you know, a little bit. He's he was, younger? Um, I think so. Yeah, I would say so. I know he's not older than me, but... He's got to be... Maybe, so close. Yeah, three, three years, four years. Um, but he was always very generous to anything I was doing. And uh, and I liked, I liked what he was, you know, when he inked my work. And I learned some of, uh, some texture techniques from him off of his inks. And so any time that... I needed an anchor. He was one of the ones I would always sit there and go, "Hey, come on," because we're, we're we're close. We're close to the same ideas, the same. I see when he's doing drawings now. I go, "I may have took that from me." <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's kind of funny. You guys, I, I guess that goes back to the '80s. Your association with him, and were you like FedExing original pages? Back yeah, we before? didn't we didn't live close by any means. Even when we did Avatar stuff, it was always he was. I was sending him, uh, I was sending him, um, I think Xeroxes, and he was inking over vellum on a lot of the stuff. So you still have all your pencils, or? What? Do you still have all your pencils then? Oh, yeah. But they were done, like, on um, copy paper. I didn't even use Bristol board for that stuff. Just cheap copy paper. How long, see... Th I always love this part about comics. Like, I've collaborated with people who I hadn't stepped in the same room with until five years after working with these people. Was that a similar situation between you and uh, Tim Tyler? Um, when did you meet him? Right, I'm trying to think. Yeah. Um, I think I met him because we did, we did a Faust tour. Did I meet him before that? When we did a Faust tour, we, we did a part in Chicago, and that's where Northstar was, and I went to their office. I'm not sure if David was there. I'm not... I'm sure, but I think I met... I think I met Tyler there, because he was their main artist in doing stuff. Well, we always got along. He was always cool. Do you keep up keep up with his work. He seems very prolific. Whenever I go digging, I find a Tim Tyler comic I've never seen before. I follow him on Facebook, and I see what he's doing, and, you know, it's always always amazing. Yeah, he'll send me stuff if I if I contribute to it, and, or if I, even if I ask, he would send me it. But I don't ask a lot. Um, but he works... He, I wish he could find um, some way to slow down. Because he works so much 
that his ideas is like, oh, what'd you do here? You know, you can just see him thinking so much and throwing things in together, and it comes out. You go, that's neat, but it, if he didn't have to worry and think so much about just getting shit out and trying to make a living with it, it I think he would do a lot better. But he's 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 a wild man. I like his work. Even though it's distorted, I wish he knew how to draw women better. <laughs> but I figured after all these years, you know, inking over me, he might have picked up something, but he gets kind of wonky. That's his style. Part yeah. of the charm of comics. A little bit, but you'd, you'd want to see a little bit of progress, you know. That's one of the things happy I'm, I'm, you know, if you look at Faust, that's my career right there. That's me from the beginning and me being pretty much where I'm at now. And you can see the whole style changing and hopefully getting better. I imagine you have guys, collectors of your work. Uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but is that, a, is that a part of your business? Like original art, selling original art, doing commissions? I don't get a lot of people, I, I don't get a lot of people asking me for commissions. Um, what I usually do, because I don't want to, I don't like doing other people's ideas. Uh, I like to just create my idea, throw it out there, and go, here you go, buy it, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that only goes so much, you know. When somebody gives me an idea, I get a clock in my head of how much I got and how much time I want to put into this. Because um, I look at it when I'm at home, I'm making basically 100 bucks an hour. But usually they're getting... Like, say, if I'm at a con and I do a sketch, I go, you got an hour of my time for 60 bucks. Pretty much I can get it done then. But when I'm home, I'm going, you got 100 bucks. It's a character. But usually I'm going to put in up to maybe three hours of work into that, you know. It's much better. And then if I'm doing it on my own and not listening to them, I'm just doing a drawing, and then I'm going, well, here it is for 300 bucks. There's there's a good probably double to three times the amount that I would I should get if I put it on a time clock. But people don't they don't they don't see it a lot they don't pick it up. I don't know why. Like at this convention we're at, I try to tell people the best deal you're getting is in my sketchbook and my sketch covers. I put more time into these things, and I'm not asking a lot for this. You know you're getting some really good work for three hundred bucks. Whereas, and I, it's one of my faults, I compare myself to other people going, what are you getting for 300 bucks from this other dude, you know? And it's, it's a great deal. Have you sold originals from Faust? I, yeah. I've seen them in your portfolio. Yeah. I got pretty much all of it still from issue 9 on. Most of it. I think there's a couple pages that I've sold from issue 12. Uh, or 10, um, but I got pretty much all the original art from there, and I've sold some stuff that I wish I hadn't sold, um, but from 1 through 8, it's uh, that's where I've been selling most of it. There's, there's pages that go, I'm not going to get rid of that, like the double page splash in number 5, where there's an orgy scene where they're cutting up everybody, I'm keeping that one. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's a great piece. I get it. 
I remember doing that piece. It was like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> the the chopping of the people were like from Apocalypse Now when they do the cow mutilation. Right. Yeah, I was, going, I was just I was thinking, you're seeing just slicing a body part, and you can see the bone and everything. I was, that, was a, that, was a neat, that was a neat part where I went, oh, shit, I just got better. That was a page that I sat there and said, that's not bad. Even though she's a little, she's up on her knees on top of somebody, she's a little distorted right through the hips and stuff. But I go, that's, that's a damn good picture. That's always fun to come across when you're drawing something. I remember the first time I drew a picture and I did a Frazetta foot. I got, he's on a stairway and the, the balance on the back foot. And you went, oh shit, I just figured that out. And that's cool. And you gotta, you gotta find those in yourself as an artist. You gotta be able to sit there and not only criticize yourself, but you have to be able to sit there and go, wow, I did damn good work there. Even though things, there's a thousand problems in this and there's a thousand mistakes, you gotta sit there and know at least three good things you did in a picture and at least five bad things you did so you can get better. Sound advice? Put that in your scrapbook. That's got them right, <laughs> sir. Um, when you when you're working on these these pieces, certainly Faust, you know, it, it has there's a large admiration from like the fucking he heavy metal metalhead community. Yeah. Uh, is this the kind of stuff you're listening to while you're putting these pages together? No. 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 Do never got never got into metal. Tchaikovsky music. Yeah, yeah some. A <laughs> uh, little Janet Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Rhythm Nation shit. <laughs> um, uh, I'm, 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 I, I like female singers with mm -hmm. music, so I listen to, you know, I listen to pop and, and stuff like that, and if somebody tells me to listen to something, I will, but I have a thing against music. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I have a conflict of, uh, of competitiveness with that, because, you know, I go, why are women throwing their fucking bras and panties at these dudes, you know? I hate it. <laughs> a dude can go up there and just say, oh, I got a guitar, baby. Mm. <laughs> Throw this shit. You know? If you sit there and go, hey, look at this beautiful drawing I did. Nah. It's fucking creative. It's same thing. There's a famous uh, Dan Klaus comic strip, One Pager, uh, promoting the idea of the ink stud. And it's, it's uh, he's, he's saying basically the same thing. Fuck these musicians. Oh, yeah. Screw these guys. You ever see that ink stud? No, no, but I understand it, it totally. It, it ends with a guy holding a giant phallic brush right in the crotch region <laughs> towards the camera. Say, hey, come on, hug an ink stud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's terrible. And I always, I always grew up like, uh, oh, you become the artist and you're going to have these women loving your shit and you're going to be able to get these models because you're so talented. Fuck no. Fuck no. They run away from that. And some of it's my subject matter. You sit there and go, oh, yeah, you're an artist, huh? Yeah, you want to see some of my work? Yeah. <laughs> that demon vagina oh, yeah. They show some demon boning some butt. You know, it's all over. <laughs> I, it's just a drawing. It just shows a show that I got, you know, an erotic mind. You're going to love it. <laughs> just relax. <laughs> but no. I, I'll tell you one thing. When I did EO, that ruined my relationship. Yeah. Yeah, because all of a sudden, oh, no, you're part of that, aren't you? That's part of you. I'm like, it's a fucking story. But no, it ruined it. It was just too much. <laughs> and I go, it's a love story, really. You know, especially that first issue where uh, the guy's radiated and he's all fucked up and he's 
goes up to his wife and he starts to change and grow and her guts fall out of her vagina, you know, it's like, and he's, and he's scared shitless, you know, he's like, he doesn't know what's going on. I go, that's horrifying, but, you know, he loved her and he's just, he's scared now. No, they didn't see it that way. They thought I hated women and I got a lot of that then. You're a misogynist. No? EO is left unfinished. Oh, yeah, and it will be. That was a crazy fucking thing. Just the way that broke up. Just because the writer, his fiance, and this is what I hear, this is how I understand it as, told him, I don't want any of that money in our bank account. So I'm sitting there going, hey, where's issue three? Oh, I've been working on it. I'll have it to you next week. I don't hear anything. Where's issue three? Oh, I'm getting it. I'm I'm done. I'm going to get it into the mail. I don't hear anything. Where is it? Oh, I sent it. Where is it? Oh, I must have sent it to the wrong address. And then it was like, okay, dude. And this is a bright man. Franz Hinkle is a bright man. He's a teacher. And this dude didn't have the balls enough to sit there and tell me, Ah, oh, my fiancé cut my dick off. You know, and I can't do this. Uh, that's all you had to tell me. You just had to sit there and go, I can't do it. And I would have understood. It was hardcore. I would have understood it, but he didn't have the balls enough to tell me. And I was like, well, just to show you can be bright, but you can't be honest with yourself. And that way it'll never be finished. Right. I've tried to draw some of it, but it's like... <sighs> It's a, it's a hard, the character himself, because I consider myself to be kind of like a method artist, whereas you get into these characters, you know, like Claire is the sexy me, you know. I can see it. Yeah. It's <laughs> pretty obvious. Pretty obvious. Right it's pretty obvious, isn't it? <laughs> and, you know, Emma's the, kind of the controller in me, you know, and Faust is just the, oh, fuck, I want to save myself, you know. And so I, where every character that I do, I, you know, I'm method, I'm looking at these words and I'm trying to create emotion on this stuff. And EO is, is really hard because you got to get into this, this psyche of this just fucked up dude that just wants to fuck everything and uses dick to, as this um, way of destroying, controlling, you know, being. Everything is right there, and he, and he and he's constantly. It's, it's a hard. It's a hard character to be, and especially being all bulky. The, the original idea was that he gets so big that he's dragging his dick along at the end. And uh, there's a there was a scene that I had that he's he gets to the the scientist's uh, building and he takes it over, and he has the doctor caged up with the daughter and everything. But he has other people that were working there as his sex slaves. And he is supposed to start going after the daughter of uh, Reich, the, the professor. And this other girl goes, no, you got me, you know. You don't need anybody else. I can satisfy you. And he goes, oh, yeah, baby. Come here. And he brings her in. There. All these people are watching. He starts finger banging her. And then he shoves his hand up her pussy, grabs her heart, and pulls the heart out of her, you know, and then he eats it. That's a visual moment. Oh yeah, that's a visual it'll moment. Never, it'll never be. It'll be never visualized either. 
is a lot. Theater of the mind, man. Let the cavemen at home think think about that one for a hot minute. It was brutal. It was very brutal. We talked. Go ahead. Well, I was going to ask a again kind of process oriented. Yeah. I'm wondering what a typical day is like, you know, for you. I'm a I'm a problem solver in the morning. Like right when I wake up, I'll get up, take a shower, I'll go over to a Starbucks for a couple hours, and I'll draw. And at that time in the morning is where I I can solve all the problems that I've I had the day before or so, right in the morning. And then I come home, I take a little break, just getting things, you know, maybe have lunch or something, but I'm back on the drawing table till like from like 12.30 to 5.30. I'll go to the gym for an hour and I come back and start drawing again until I go to sleep. Just I just work all the time. I'm just really dedicated to it right now. I've been dedicated to it for a good amount of time. And just said I go. Being my age, I don't have a lot of years left. And if there's only one thing that I can sit here and go, you're going to pass on in some stupid little way, you know, it's just going to be my art. And it's going to be how I and what I can create and put out there. I try not to think of it too much because it sounds pompous, you know. But in truth, that's all I got to leave behind. You know, because I don't have kids. I'm not married or anything like this. So I don't even give a shit about that. The only thing I give a shit about is a stupid noodle up here that can create something, and it's and and I and I'm constantly in fight with it, like why, you know, because I have a thing against. Why isn't my stuff attracting people? Why isn't it, you know, the comic world is hypnotized by Marvel and DC, you know, they have it. People walk into these conventions just going, eh, 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 Batman, eh, rant this, you know, and you're lucky. And they'll come by and go, oh, that's real nice, but what are you buying? Batman, Spider-Man, you know. And now with the movies really punctuating this stuff, they don't have any... You would like to think that they're coming in here thinking that, wow, these people are really good and I'm going to just gravitate to what I like. But they don't, you know. And there's other factors that I've learned throughout the thing, and, 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 a, and a lot of it's my fault, is that I'm not a... If people like you, they'll buy you. That's what I think. And people don't like me that much. We like you, too. No, I, that's <laughs> fine. I'm just saying, I'm, I know that I'm not a personable... You know, I, I sit there, like you said, you're just sitting there, my head's down. You know, I'm not going to the people, hey, hey, you know, hey, really, da-da-da-da-da-da, you know. We don't chuck that Cardi Barker shit here, though, man. So I've done it. respect you. I've done it, but it's not me, you know. And I mean, there are times I go, okay, you know, if I'm, especially if it's a boring and I don't got a, if I don't got sketches to do, I'll stand up and be nice to people. But I'm being, when I'm working, I figure like I'm being nice to people, too. Because mm-hmm. I'm being nice getting my work done for these people yeah. that I want to satisfy. You know, and, um, but, uh, you know, when I see people walking by with uh, these prints that are just atrociously juvenile, you know, and My Little Pony, 
grown men and women buying this stuff. It's like, uh, you know, you're really hanging this shit on your wall. You know, it's for kids. That's for kids. You yeah. know, but this business holds this idea of um, grown people being. I don't want to take away from cosplaying or anything like this, but when you're dressing up as a furry, you know, at twenty some odd, you know, or you're you're dressing up as some anime character. Okay, it's fun, I guess. I'd never do it, but but that's me being boring, you know. Some of it's exciting. I saw a guy today at the convention. This this is big guy, and he's wearing these fucking anime shit, and I'm like. I wouldn't be caught dead like that. But that's his expression. You know, his acceptance. Does the creative... Do you find this, this creative life, creative process, is it pleasurable? Does it bring you joy, happiness? Is it torturous? Well, it, was, it did bring me joy when I had money to do things. Um, not... I mean, I'm, 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 I live in poverty, you know? Uh... I think being dedicated to it um, is an extreme challenge that I keep drawing something and I put it out there and nobody wants to buy it so I just keep drawing another one and keep throwing it out there and nobody wants to buy it and you draw something else. Uh, it becomes frustrating because you, you're being told um, and again, this sounds stupidly pompous, but, you know, I go to these conventions and uh, people will sit there and go, you know, you're one of the masters. You know, you're, you're great. And I'm going, well, if I'm so great, spend five bucks. And I don't say this, of course, but, it, you know, it, it runs through my mind. And, and then I have to sit there and go, where's the... Where's the reality of it all? Where's the where's the lie and where's the where's the just the fan being nice to you, you know? Oh, you're real good. Oh, that's nice. And I and I've I've done it to people. Oh, that's really great. I'm not buying from them, you know. So I, you got to just sit there and go, well, you know, how do you make money and and what is it? And then my 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 answer is just keep drawing and dig into your own brain to try to do better. And, but my better isn't to become, you know, some child drawer, you know. I'm zooming ahead. I'm going, I'm heading for a barrier, you know. They, they sit there and sit there and go, as you get better with art, the first steps, the, can, the canyon that you have to leap from better to better gets wider as you get better. And this leap now is like, and I don't think it's that far, but I think somehow I, I, I'm afraid of that, that, because uh, I know I'm not great, I know I'm good, and I know that I can do stuff, but I, 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 to me, greatness would be undeniably that these art dealers in this business, these people that are uh, really into comics and would say, say, praise Wrightson and shit like this, and they should be praising me if they say I'm as good as I am, what people are saying I am. 
not so much them. They might say it behind closed doors or whatever, but they're not, you know, they're not pursuing it. And some of that might be because they don't want to associate with what I do. And that's the extreme dirtiness that I do. A lot of it has to do with that, but I, I like it. You know, I don't mind drawing some demon getting butt-fucked. You know, it's kind of fun. I guess the way, you know, that's the way I express my, my uh, sexual drive and stuff like that. Um, but I, a lot of it's just lies and just being polite. I don't, well, I take that back. It's not lies. It's just being polite, you know. But... Were you raised religiously? No. I don't, I don't believe in God. I believe in goodness. Every time I hear people sit there and go, oh, God this, oh, God that, believe this and that, I just substitute the word good because there is good and evil. And I try to pursue, portray that in my work too. There is good and evil. And you can be, there can be redemption. You can fight for redemption. I'm always doing that. Um, but uh, the, the supreme being, know-all and stuff like that, nah. Even though in Faust there's the devil, but I really never got into, like, there's a God. So I, I believe evil is more predominant in the world. And it's how we, um, how you face that. There are two more things that, that I would like to hit before we're done uh, tonight. Uh, I would like to talk about the association with Avatar yeah. uh, a little bit, how that came about and, you know, what you got from that. Um, and I would also like to get just a little piece about, about Joe Vigil and, and the tandem that you guys share as brothers. Is there any competition or whatever? So where should we go first? I'll give you the choice. And it's not Sophie's choice because we're hitting them both before we're out of uh, here, man. I guess we can talk about Joe. Let's talk Joe. Um, Gunfighters in hell. Well, but it goes back um, to growing up with him, being like uh, he was very prolific as an artist when he was young. He was he was winning awards and, and stuff like that through high school and everything, and he got stuff put into this gallery in Sacramento. And um, and I admired him. I admired what he was doing. I, I looked up to his what his ability was, and I knew I wasn't as good as he was. But there came a point that I knew I was doing my own stuff that was compatible, and I know that at a, at a point I was taking it more seriously. And um, there's a story that we've talked about that uh, we went to, um, we were in New Jersey visiting my, my sister, and we went into, my brother was there presenting stuff to Marvel Comics, and they were interested in him, and this is back in like 76 or 77, I think it was 76. And uh, I went there at, and, and stayed with them too after my brother was there a couple of weeks, and Marvel was interested in my brother because my brother had a very Jack Kirby power to his work, very explosive, very dynamic. And, but he had a very raw style, and he had a certain flatness to his work that didn't hinder it, but to be within Marvel Comics, 
he would have had to have learned to bring that out a little bit. Looking back on it now. Um, but we went and visited Continuity, and we showed Neil Adams our work. And he told my brother, he goes, nah, you need to work on your anatomy. Now, my brother's not so much a guy that can take criticism. No. No. And he got pissed. And I knew that Neil was wrong. But, you know, my brother looked up to him, admired him as I did, but I knew he was wrong. And it was, it was two different schools of thought. Um, where Neil Adams was much more realistic, much more anatomically correct, where my brother was, um, like I say, Jack Kirby, you know, he made muscles where there weren't muscles, and he, it didn't matter because the, the imagery was so powerful. But he took that to heart, and when we went home, um, he, he, he really looked at anatomy to an extreme where it became very sinewed, very defined in his drawing, these muscles. And it was like, well, you could soften this stuff up, you know. But it, it, he, it's almost like now he sometimes draws, and it's almost like these people don't have skin on them. Right. And, uh, which is interesting in, in, a, in, a, in a perspective, but it's also like, um, uh, <laughs> it's like, you may need to change that a little bit. He's he's always had a problem, and I, with hands and feet. You look at his drawings, and he's always having feet step behind rocks or something like that. <laughs> classic maneuver. Yeah, it's a classical maneuver. But it's like maybe you should try to work on feet. You know, um, I was like, there was a point where I sat there and looked at it. And go well, you got to learn hands. So I read the book on um, Bernie Hogarth, how to draw hands. And it wasn't a hard read. I read it over a plane flight, and it was like, okay. And you just start drawing hands. And if they come out, you keep working it. Then you sit there and go, well, I'm just going to have to move on, and that one didn't work, and do another hand. Uh, but I looked at my work as correcting. And there, my brother and I, we have two different ways of thinking with our art. And in my belief, I don't, I don't know if he thinks this way about it, but I, he looks at it as like, he's very, he waits and waits, and then he goes, okay, I'm going to draw, boom. And he just explodes it out, and Ned's done, it's there, boom. And I'll look at it going, wow, that's pretty good, but this is wrong, this is wrong, this could be changed, this could be changed. Because my approach is, here's the rough, Refine, 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 and then we got a picture, and it's still a little wrong, but I'm okay with it. That was one of the things that really fascinated me with the stuff that you would post on Facebook so, uh, some years ago, where you would have this, this pinup piece, and it would be in pencil, uh, pretty tight pencil, right? and then you would see it in pencil again, and a lot has changed. Some of the pose has changed uh -huh. up, some of the background stuff has changed, and then you see another pencil, still as tight, still as detailed, and the characters changed even more, yeah. and then it gets into inking time. But there would be several very, very, very be. detailed yeah. iterations of uh, the same be. illustration. There's, because I, I look at it, like I said, I'm a method um, artist in a way, and so my the body has to be positioned in a, in a comfortable way where I feel it. 
Ah, you know, see. it's like, all of a sudden it's like, it's here. It's like, no, and all of a sudden it goes, and you go, ah, oh, that's not bad. You know, the angle's right. The, the, the motion of the hand is right. Uh, the, how close the faces are better, you know, and um, if it's like an embrace between a man and a woman, you know, the, the bodies are, are working better. And, it's, and, and, and not only are they working better, but it's looking like uh, a Tim Vigil drawing. Right. You know, I, I can see my signature. I can see me in uh, my line. And, and that's something that I'm very proud of, that when people sit there and go, I can look at a vigil and know that's a vigil. Yes. I'm going, I've done my job. Uh, because growing up, everybody, every artist had a different style. Yes. You had crappy styles drawing comics, and you had great styles. But everybody, you knew who each of these people were by their style. And that was very, very important. Um, and when everything started becoming, like, the same, that gets me mad, you know? It's like, what are you doing? Everybody's drawing. God, you know, why do you just keep feeding the same style out? Um, but with some of my, um, my advice to artists is, like, first you got to find it within you. You got you to gotta, you gotta know what your likes and dislikes are in your passion of what you want to present. Mine are horror, sex, violence, and gothic details and stuff. I love that. Those are, those are pretty much the prime things, and those are going to be in almost every drawing I do, even if they're a nice piece. You're still going to feel a little sense of, ooh, you know, that's, there's, there's a little weirdness in that. It's hard for me to draw a kid's drawing. <laughs> you know, I can do it. I can do the cartoony uh, once in a while, but it, 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 because I'm so much into just the weirdness of stuff. But what you have to do, once you feel that in yourself and you know where you want things to go, uh, throughout your own body, you know, because if they sit there and sit there and say, like, you know, everything you draw looks like you. And uh, so you, once you start seeing yourself in your work, you go, you, you keep going toward that because basically you're finding yourself. If any, any artist that's coming up, they have to understand themselves. They have to understand that there's not going to be anybody that's going to help them become who they are. Um, I mean, I know my faults. I know where I've, I've fucked up at. I, I know where I fuck up at in life and stuff like this. And it's, it's habit now. And so I'm going, well, that's the way it's going to go. You know, every day has, every day I do wake up going, things can change. Things, new things can happen every day. And most of the time, I, it's not in my personal life that I want it to change. I go, it's in my art life. Every day I can, I can create something just totally mind-blowing. And that's a hard thing to go after. Um, and, but you have to find within yourself to really sit there and push your personality. And you got to take what's in you and put it out there and not be ashamed of it. you got to own it. you got to sit there and go, that's me. And if you hate it, all right, you can tell me why you hate it, and we can have that discussion, you know. But the one thing I'd, I, I try to put in there, go, you cannot deny 
that it's not good. You know, you can hate the subject matter. Like my mother would always say to me, oh, I'm really, I really like, I, I'm so happy you're doing what you do, but why do you have to draw what you draw? Would she see some of that splayed pussy stuff, or would you protect her from not that? Not that stuff. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but she knew, I would show her some stuff that she would go, oh, why do you draw that? But she was always happy that I did what I did. Um, but I didn't expose her to a lot of it. But, you know, she wished I would have been a little bit more family-oriented, you know, doing portraits or, you know, dog pictures. You know, much as that sounds... The dog pictures were for Joe Vigil. No, you can make money do, You can <laughs> yeah. make money doing dog pictures. People's dogs, fuck, you can make money at that. Or portraits of their kids. Hell yeah, you can make money. I'm not interested in that. There's a, you know, there's... If, we, if, if, you, if, you, if you sit there and think, you have this brain in you, and you have this imagination, and, you know, and you sit there and go, and there's all these fucking creative people that are doing all sorts of shit around you, and you're trying to sit there and go, but you're an individual, and then what do you find? You know, everybody, all these creative people, brilliant people, are finding nuggets of gold in their creativity, you know? And it's like, and they're finding it because they're an individual. And you gotta sit there and go, there's gold up there. And you just gotta dig. And you gotta just keep digging and put it down. And you'll have it. It's crazy stuff, because there's so many people more, much more better than me. But the one thing I have that I always look at is go, but they can't be me. You know, and that's the only thing you can hold on to. There are great artists that aren't technically great. You know, and there are technically great artists that aren't great artists. So you got to sit there and go, and I lean toward more, not technically great, but a great artist. I mean, I, I'm technical, of course, but I know that I'm never going to be uh, so technically great that that's what defines the work I do. The, the work I do would be how much emotion can you put into that. It, when, when somebody doesn't like something, I go, I did a pretty good job there, you know. That, 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 that influenced them. That, that made them sit there and go, ooh, you know. Or if they sit there and go, wow. Like my sister thinks that the best picture that I've ever done is this one of this angel in this cathedral, and there's these knights around him the angel bowing down to her. And a pain in the ass picture to draw. <laughs> but it's a nice picture. And it's this, uh, the idea of uh, faith. Again, I'm not religious in the God sense, but I'm religious in the sense of like a, symbols of good. I'll tell you my story why I don't believe in God. Okay? Within... The, the simple knowledge I have of the Bible and stuff like this is like, because man was so bad, he, God came down and destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Because man was so bad, he destroyed, uh, he made the rains and had Noah save all the animals and recreated, supposedly, right? But I sit there and go, well, the Vatican, which we consider the pinnacle to God, the Pope is the Word of God, the closest hand. And these guys are fucking kids. 
constantly. And if there's a God, God's letting that shit happen. To who? To, to, to test us? To sit here and go, oh, to test man? No, he should sit here and go, walk away and don't look back because I'm going to burn that place. <laughs> and he hasn't done it. And so I don't believe in him. There's time. He might burn it. He needs to burn the Vatican. He needs to burn religion when they have priests going around, you know, assaulting children and they're not, and they just go, oh, just push it off. Innocence like that. No. I don't put up with that. I don't put up with a God that's, that does that. But there's good. And I believe in good. And I'm not a real, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a really super good guy, but I believe in it. You know another guy who I think uh, doesn't believe in God is probably the publisher of Avatar Press. Why? Just from the <laughs> subject matter and the body of work that he's that he's pumped out. Well, like it's pretty hardcore shit. He does. He. The funny thing is when I first started with him. He. Uh, What's his name? Uh, William uh, Christensen. Did he come to you, or did you go to? Him? Um. How did we meet? I must have met him at San Diego or something. I don't exa- I don't remember exactly how we met, but we 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 were gonna do something for him. We did seven 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 the wrath, and he put limits on us, like oh you can't show pussy, you can't show dick and everything, and then within I don't know maybe a couple issues he said do whatever you want. Yeah, I was gonna say I recall seeing a lot of genitals in there. Yeah, but it's like he understood that uh, if. I always look at it this way. With my creativity, because I'm stubborn and a douchebag and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I go along with things and I, if I know the structure of power, you know, I go, oh, you're the boss? All right, you're going to tell me. I may not agree with you, but you're the boss. But I figure if someone's going to hire me, I'm like a, a Mustang running wild. And it's like, don't hold that fucker back. Let him do what he does, you know, because it's a beautiful thing. And if you tame that, it's, it's not the same horse. You know, it's a, it might be a controlled horse, and it might look good, but it doesn't have the same wildness as it used to. You did a lot of work with him, though. I did a lot of work with him? Right. Yeah. Like three, like three post-Faust miniseries or so? Yeah, we were doing stuff, and, and he was putting it out, but it, it got complicated after a while. Uh, I don't think the numbers came out as much as he liked. Uh, there were times that we were supposed to do color books, so I drew it as a color book, and it didn't come out as a color book, and then when he did color the book, it looked like shit, and I would complain about it, you know, because they had the... He was working so fast on stuff... That they did the coloring like three colors. That was it. The whole thing was just three colors. I'm like, God, you got to be kidding me. You know, put five in. Yeah. Don't just put three in. Put five in. And I'll be happy with five. They wouldn't do it. You know, and when the pillar, the costume, uh, the ground are all blue. Right. You know, you're just going, come on. You know, and then there's a red or there's flesh. And that's it. And you're like. It's sad. I didn't like it. And I knew the colorist that was working on it, and he's just like, I, he had to crank this shit out. 
because uh, William wanted him to. William had a problem with um, quality control. And I mean quality control as in putting out quality work. Mm -hmm. He believed to get it out as, as fast as it could and enough, but I was like, you know, like I said, just put five colors in, don't put three. You know, slow down a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean, I understand that there's a production. Mm -hmm. But just slow down a little bit. And he wouldn't listen to me. Is that some of the last comic stuff you've, you've, uh, you've done, published? Uh, I've done little independent stuff um, here and there. But uh, that was the, the most that I was putting out at the time. Mm -hmm. I, enj I enjoyed what we did. There, well, there was, a, there was a story that came out called Claire's Lust that was kind of like the history of Claire. Which was a decent little story, but I, I cranked that fucker. And there's just some shit-ass drawing in that. I'm embarrassed to look at it. I look at some of these pages like, ugh. But there was some neat stuff in it, too. But a lot of it was a lot of it was bad. And I think a lot of that was coming down to the end that, you know, I was supposed to, at, the, at one point, I'm, the idea was I, I get all my original art back. He was never have, to, and then he would start holding on to it, holding on to it, holding on to it. Then I'd go, "Where's my art?" He goes, oh, "I'll take too long to dig through this shit. How about if I just buy it, and give you a, a a fee for it?" And there was a couple pieces I wanted back that I never got back because I just took the fee, and it was you know. And then I said, "Well, this isn't working out the way it was supposed to." That's our, and it always gets down to our original agreement, and you know. When do they turn on it? And when they turn on it, I sit there and go, okay, I'll walk away. But they, they were, it was all right for a while. They gave us freedom. But it, it, didn't, it didn't sell great. You mentioned they give you freedom. You know, you've always kind of worked in the independence. Creator rights have come up, you know, in the 80s. There were some movements toward creator rights, the 90s, image founders talked about creator rights is that something you think about as a comic book creator is it something you talk to other creators about I don't you... talk to people about it but it's always um, you know when you when you like say when we did Faust with Avatar we kept uh, the rights to it and everything like that and he only had certain rights for like publishing rights for that bit but if he had to do like any other thing, it was, you know, yeah, we think about it so we don't lose it. It was like when we did the movie, it was like, you got movie rights. You don't got any other rights, you know. And that's it. But I don't, I don't think about it. I'm, I'm, I'm not smart enough to be really thinking about that stuff. I don't get into it. That's for lawyers, and, and I hate lawyers. I think we're all in agreement on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We spent a lot of time digging in the bins. And this is, I mean, you know, to some extent, you know, we knew Faust, but then we start to discover through digging in the bins, then we find uh, we find grips and stuff like that. Um, in, in Caliber Presents, there was another cartoonist who did a little work on some other stories in there, a guy by the name of Ken Landgraf. And he's a dude that we uh, 
we check I don't out know. a lot. You all know the name? No. Okay, I was just curious about that. Just because he's another artist that we really dig deep in. Um, do you have much else? Yeah? I think we covered it, man. Uh, what do you have uh, that you're working on now? What's the next convention? Because we'll put this interview out right now. I believe it's uh, June 15th. Uh, we'll be putting this interview out pretty soon. So what uh, conventions do you have coming up? What kind of appearances and stuff? Um, I got a Miami show at the beginning of July, the weekend of the 4th. Uh, San Diego, of course, is coming up. Um, I'm looking at doing Tampa, maybe Chicago. It's like one a month. A couple of months. In the summer, sometimes it gets to be about two a month, but... That's what I got in my plan so far. Miami and um, San Diego, the next two. And, there, and there's a presence on social media. You you may or may not uh, be the guy who puts the images up there on the Instagram, but it's there, man. So Tim Vigil, yeah. uh, Tim Vigil Art on Instagram. If they Is that what it's called? Uh, something like there might be an underscore somewhere here okay. or there, man. But I don't know. We'll have the links in the description below. Uh, you're on Facebook. Uh, we got dinner earlier today. You mentioned something about a Kickstarter. There's a, a character called Primal, the Jungle Girl, mm -hmm. that I we did a uh, I did a part for in a Kickstarter before, and now there's a new one uh, out. It's called Fierce Primal, the Fierce Campaign or something. Uh, but I'm doing a 16-page story for that. And that's done. And uh, that's, I think that's the newest thing that will be coming out. I'm doing a, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Castle Rain, Jack the Lantern. Mm. That's a comic that I've worked on, covers, and I did a story for a couple of them. I'm doing a new story for those guys. That I'm, work I, I'm just starting to work on that. But I, got, I, don't, I don't know much what's happened up to where I'm drawing, so I'm going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I don't know what these are. So, that's the problem with drawing other people's stories. Like, if I was to go to Marvel or DC, and I was to do Batman, or Conan, or whatever, you know, I wouldn't know what was going on with these characters. I'd be like, who are they? Like, when I did Badger Run, when I first did, I did three issues of Badger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We could talk first comics. Okay. There was that other miniseries you did, too. When I, that's when I first comics. got in, I did Badger. And Ron Lim was drawing him before me. So the first issue, I drew him like Ron Lim drew him. And people said, no, 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 take, do your own thing. I said, oh, okay. You know, I had, to get, I had to get into the, and I didn't know the character again. Like I said, you know, being a method artist, uh, it was, and then I finally got into it and, he got better, but then I left with three issues. And then we were able to do Zero Tolerance, which was a fun one. Um, Dave Barber that wrote that was working with me at Tower Video. I was the artist doing the displays and stuff, and he was just working there. As, and he was into movies, and uh, he was writing, and so I was able to get him to come in with me on that. And we... There's a character in it called Molly McKnight, and there was a girl that came in, and that was her name. And went, well, that is a really cool name, and so we developed a whole story around just basically that name. And that did okay. But 
they were hand coloring it at that time. The coloring wasn't great. That's right. I think it was that. Was it that blue line method? Probably. Yeah. 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 The layover. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I had Gary Amaro help me on it. That was doing Fat Ninja, and we both did it together. But something I don't remember what it was. I had to leave at the fourth issue, and he basically finished it off of my layouts. But I didn't get to I didn't get to finish it as as well as I wanted. They were cool. Work for higher gigs. Get that page rate. Yeah, but I think after I did that, they kind of collapsed. It must be the kiss of death for people. <laughs> Don't hire me. You're gonna you're gonna go out of business afterwards. <laughs> so I'm good if you're good, Jim. Yeah, I'm, that's I'm it. Better than good. That was fantastic. Tim, that was a heck of an interview. That's man. it. Don't you want Don't you want to talk about evil? <laughs> about Glenn Danzig? Is he a fan? You ever get a email from that guy or something? Glenn Danzig. Something strikes me like he's be, he'd be a big fan. He was a fan. Movies. I did some work for Verotic. Did you? Yeah, I did a couple of stories. He's a tough one, though. He makes all the decisions, so it's like when you're working with uh, the other people underneath him, and you go, what about this? And they, I, I, I don't know. i got to ask Glenn. Glenn had to make all the decisions, and if he's on tour, you know, it's hard to get a hold of. But there was one funny story with this guy that I, I don't understand it. I did this story, and he wanted a certain... This, this character, had a, she was tied up and she had a mask, but he wanted little cat ears on the mask. And I was like, ah, fuck that shit. So I drew it without the cat ears. And they're just little, dink, dink, you know, little triangles on the head. And I turn it in, he goes, oh, dude, you need to put those cat ears back. <laughs> and he sent them back to me just to go, dink, dink. Right. Yeah, we're talking FedEx or UPS or something. Yeah, like. I'm going, you could do it yourself. You know how to draw. <laughs> you know, I'm just going, come on. But no, he wanted it because he's like, you pay, I paid you, you do it. And it was just silly stuff like that. Like another part was that he had this character that had ponytails, but she had like three tits. I go, that's kind of weird. So let's, I go, let's weird her up. So I put her ponytails in these leather stockings you know just to jazz it up and he goes no it's off model man take them off i need to I, I, no none of that and i'm like <laughs> okay he, he didn't give it as with me he didn't give it i don't know if he did it with other being because he looks like beasley could do whatever he wanted you know yeah. but with me it was like no i want it this way i want it this way and it was like and i don't i don't think it changed it any you know it's like it made it a little bit more interesting but no, I had to change that stuff. I just went, oh. The ear part got me, though. <laughs> I, I, was, I was shocked at that. I was like, come on. I didn't say that to him. I mean, he sent it. I changed it. I went, I mean, it took me 10 minutes. Sent it back. <laughs> I didn't get it. He could have done it himself. <laughs> wow. Man, I think that's a good enough place to close this. Uh, as any, Tim, I want to thank you for coming, man. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks a lot, man. We'll get this up soon.